we are recording. And welcome to the Key in the Lake podcast, the only, the world's only podcast uh, about whiskey. I'm Matt, uh, Blue, no, Matt Brown, uh, host of the podcast, always been the host, never stopped uh, hosting the podcast. And I'm here with my esteemed colleague, Jake Huckey, on this wonderful World Whiskey Day. And Chris, uh, Blant, Blant oh, God, Blant, you got it. Oh, Blantner. Welcome back Correct. to the Keen Late Podcast, the premier whiskey <laughs> podcast, now with the mention of whiskey in its title. As you just heard, Matt Brown is making his, or remaking his debut to the Keen Late Podcast after being suspended for about two years. I'm Jake, coming in live from Delilah's On World Whiskey Day. Is that better? Yeah, you did a great job. Thank you. <laughs> also with us hosting the podcast is the one and only Chris Blantner. Thank you very much for having me back. Thanks for being here, Chris. Thanks for wearing a Keen Lake t-shirt that I don't even own myself. I wear this every day. Oh, gosh. Never leave home without it. Uh, thank you for everyone who showed up here so far today, and also thank you to Delilah's and Mike Miller for allowing us to host our annual World Whiskey Day podcast uh, for the first time at Delilah's. The last two years, we recorded over at the Beer Cellar in Galen no, Geneva? What, what town is that? Geneva, Illinois, or Glen Ellen. Glen, Glen Ellen. Ellen. Glen, Glen Ellen, Ellen, Illinois. I should know that. It's one of my Two accounts. Geez. But yeah, we, uh, we are here to celebrate all things whiskey today all, from all across the world. We have distilleries from Ireland, America, Australia somehow. Can you believe that, Matt? Mm. Yes. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, as some of you might know, I'm a brand ambassador for an Australian outfit called Star Ward. So we will be tasting uh, the ginger beer cask, which has been a, a prized possession over in Australia that's finally making its way over to America for the very first time today. Love it. Great. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Um, uh, Matt, how's your new role at Dancing Goat? It's great. Uh, I think it's a. I don't really great, care, actually. Okay. Uh, I must say a little bit about the podcast, why we started this podcast four years ago. A young man named Wilson Torres, who has now left our lives, he's not dead or anything. Um, he just doesn't come on the podcast anymore. But him and I started this podcast four years ago to kind of have conversations with people within the industry, people who have been making whiskey, selling whiskey, telling the story of whiskey, basically all those stories you hear, uh, you don't always hear from behind the label, but in behind the bottle. And it's the people that make up this uh, great industry that we love. And people always ask me, where did you get the name Key in the Lake? Like Mike Miller asked me the other day, why is your podcast called Key in the Lake? I wish you would remind us. Jay. I am about to. Thank you, Matt. Thank you for that alley-oop right there. So I was reading a book called uh, The Old, uh, Old Time Saloon, by, written by George Ade. It's a pre-prohibition, it's a book about pre-prohibition saloons, and then kind of uh, George Ade's sight from it and thinking back on it in a nostalgic and not so much nostalgic, infamous manner of how America consumed alcohol. But there is a quote in there that says, one of the most familiar... Uh, statements in the playful circulation was the effect that when a drink parlor was opened anywhere in the loop, the proprietor went over and threw the key into the lake. Oh, it's not funny, Matt. The more famous hangouts <laughs> had not been closed for a single minute for years and years. And I kind of think of Key in the Lake as finding that last treasure, you know, telling those stories behind the, behind the, the bottle of whiskey. Finding those keys? Finding those keys. Yeah. You, what lake do you think he was referring to? I would say probably Lake Michigan. Wow, maybe. wow. <laughs> did you pass geography in the third grade? I sure did. Good for you, I was you, in Matt. the geography B. I don't know there what that is means. a uh, uh, Wordle uh, spinoff called Wordle, which will show you the outline of a country once a day, and you have to guess what country it is. And it's very fun. Do you want me to talk more about geography? No, I think we're good. Okay. <laughs> I appreciate it, though. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, 
third grade lesson, if you will. You're welcome. Yes. Yeah, so essentially what we wanted to do is kind of find that, uh, well, I didn't. Wilson had nothing to do with the naming of the podcast because I don't think Wilson knew what a podcast was until we recorded our very first episode of this whiskey podcast. But essentially was um, find that lost treasure we have in the whiskey industry down at the bottom of the lake and bring it to life and tell their stories out to the public. Is that what, is that what you're going with these days? That's what I'm going with these days. You know, you kind of make it up as, as you go along. How's that feel? Good. Yeah. Um, Chris, do you have anything to add today before we get um, to our guests? I'm excited to, uh, to talk to everyone today. I think uh, you've put together uh, quite the, uh, the lineup of distilleries, mm. some, some cool people that we have met already. So um, I like Thank you for that, Chris. It'll That's me. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that was all you, Matt. I asked you to call one person to be on this podcast, and you did not. <laughs> I didn't do it. I forgot until right now. Michael Kilmer, if you're out there, call, call me. Um, uh, yeah, well, I appreciate that, Chris. Um, may I read a quote before we get started, Matt? <laughs> I don't think we're going to be able to stop you. You got it open on your computer <laughs> and do. everything. I do. Um, one of my favorite authors is Wright Thompson. He wrote a book called Pappy Land, but before that, he's been a um, venerable sports writer throughout uh, his career over at ESPN and other outlets. But he kind of, I think, sums up whiskey in a nice uh, romantic way, if you will. Yeah, if there's one thing you love, it's venerable people. You love to venerate people. Continue with the quote, Jake. Thank you, Matt. Uh, Wright Thompson describes sharing a special whiskey as waiting on a time when its presence is required to properly convey what a moment means or what the people we are sharing that moment with mean so we can revel in the great com uh, communal joy of being alive. Today, I feel alive because you're with me, Matt, and also these other people in this room are with me, too, to share some whiskey, um, some great whiskey, and hopefully we'll create some special memories here on World Whiskey Day. I'm sure we will because we're all together embracing the power of whiskey, which is connecting people at its very best is what it does, and it brings us all together in a celebration of life. And my grandfather always told me, you know what you told me? Do you want to read it? Uh, no, yeah, you, sure. You can't read Bad it. Bad luck no. and misfortune will infest your pathetic soul for all eternity. Wow, ominous. Wow, that, that wasn't he it. He summed it up really well. <laughs> he's, yeah, he's kind of an ominous kind of character. Uh, but he told me, um, he worked for Jim Beam for years, is that when you're in the company, or in the great company of others, you always have great whiskey. So hopefully we had that today. Thank you, everybody, for being here. And let's get to our guests. How yeah. about that? Let's do it. Right. You're going to have to move over for a little bit. Okay. You're going to take that microphone right there. Okay. Our first guest is uh, Mark Boyle from Pernod Ricard, who um, I've already forgotten his exact title, but he's here today to represent Redbreast uh, and a few other brands out there. But he has brought with him today is Redbreast Red Breast 12 for us all to share, which I believe we actually sipped on World Whiskey Day in 2021, maybe? Is that right, Matt? Yes. <laughs> As you can tell, we have a great cast of characters with us, Mark. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward. Thank you yeah, very much for, a little bit for more. having yeah. me here today. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Thanks for being here. Um, just step up a little bit more oh, to the sorry. mic. Yeah, yeah, no, you're good. <laughs> it's going to be an uh, interesting day of recording into an open room like this. But um, thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, it's fun to celebrate World Whiskey Day in uh, Delilah's. Yeah, so. it's, it's nice to have someone with a proper accent instead of a Scottish accent on this podcast. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. More, more sophisticated accent, right? A little bit more cultured than the Scottish accent. 100%. If no one knows what that means, we have a Callum O'Donnell who um, is now the prestige portfolio manager for Pernod Ricard, usually co-hosts the podcast with me. He started off as Abelauer's ambassador um, and has now transitioned up in life to a more prominent role, I guess. But yeah, yeah. So he says. So he that's says. What he tells us. <laughs> yes. Um, well, Mark, how did you get started in this whole whiskey world? So uh, yeah, I've been. Uh, if you can already tell uh, by the accent and the red beard, I'm Irish. Um, so I moved to America about seven years ago. Um, first thing an Irish guy does whenever he moves to America in his 20s is finds the closest Irish bar and asks them for a job. 
Um, so I went to Fado in River North. So that was my, my first uh, foray into into the service industry and working with whiskey. Were you on one of those famous J1 visas, I my was, friend? I was, yes, yes. I was one of the J1ers who stuck around. So, uh, yeah, I'm still here yeah. almost eight years later, which is crazy. Um, worked in Irish bars all over the city for, for about seven years. Worked at, uh, just give them a few shout-outs, Fado, um, Celtic Crown up in North Centre, Harrigan's here in Lincoln Park, Galway Arms. I'm um, sure I forgot one now and they'll be angry at me, but I've... Met I've, my wife at Galway Arms. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Oh, there we go. Yeah. There we yeah. go. Yeah. She's a lucky lady. She, yes. she really is. She really is. Um, but yeah, so that's where I kind of started my, uh, my working with, with Irish whiskey. So worked there for about seven years. Um, got married, um, and it was time to hang up the uh, the bar tools. So I moved over. What's the next thing you do after you, an Irish person can't sell Guinness to people anymore? He just sells Irish whiskey to, to bars directly. Um, so I've been doing that for about a year now, working with Pernod Ricard as the uh, customer development manager. There you go. The, the Thank title you, you forgot. You. Yeah, it's um, a long one. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's a hard one. I forget it sometimes. Um, but yeah, I've been working with Pernod Ricard, which has, in my opinion, one of the best... Uh, Irish whiskey portfolios right now. You know, Run it got, down for us, I'll, baby. I'll give it to you. Jameson, which everybody knows. Mm-hmm. Um, we've also, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> and then we also have uh, the spots, so green spot, yellow spot. Uh, we've got Middleton, and we have the Red Breast range. Mm. Um, and Red Breast 12 is what I brought here for you guys to try today. One of my favorites, one of my all-time favorites. Yeah, the category you guys, or the portfolio you guys hold with your Irish whiskeys is absolutely it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. It's one of the best parts of my job. <laughs> is that your favorite part of your job? It is my favorite part of my job. Yeah. Absolute is great. Uh, you know, I sell Absolute Vodka too, but uh, yeah, I think I, I move more closer to the, the Red Breast side of things. What do you think, uh, coming from the bar side, um, you learn the most that you can actually contribute over to this side of the industry? Um, I think it's understanding the challenges, especially recently coming out of COVID for a lot of bar people, um, you know, staff and issues, trying to keep cocktails simple, kind of being able to understand and talk their language, I think helps a lot. Um, so yeah, I think kind of understanding the world that the, your customers are, are living in right. helps a lot. Um, as well, I think having that kind of basis and knowledge of a lot of these brands already, you know, working with them for, been working with Redbreast for eight years, so... Um, yeah, kind of having that grounding kind of allows you to, to focus on learning the things you don't know. Was that your first interaction with uh, was selling whiskey or telling the story of whiskey? It was, was yeah, yeah, which is crazy. It took me to move to America to understand, <laughs> you know, how amazing Irish whiskey is. I was always a Jameson shot drinker, and uh, the general manager of Fado did a whiskey class. I tried Redbreast for the first time, and I opened my eyes. I was like, wow, okay, this is this is something I can get into. Um, so yeah, and I did. Eight years later, here I am sitting on a, a whiskey podcast. In the upstairs of Delilah's. In the upstairs of Delilah's, yeah. Wow. Matt, so you. this podcast is about three things, of course. Whiskey, geography, as okay. we already Ge- touched on. Okay. Yeah. And three, uh, Premier League soccer. So what? remind us what team F- Fado is the hub of? It's uh, Man United. Oh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And where does your allegiance fall for the listeners? Uh, it's a Man United, yeah. Man United fans have given me too much money over oh. the years working behind that bar. Oh. I have to... I have to to stick with them. So. Do you have a traditional Irish sport that you're a fan of? Uh, <laughs> Hurling? You know what? Yeah. Uh, Gaelic football? Gaelic football was, is a Donegal sport where I'm from. Mm. Um, but honestly, I'm a big uh, big Bears fan as well. So, Ooh. you know, I'm, I'm from my sense. The animal? Uh, no, no, no. The, the, the unfortunately bad uh, Chicago football team. Oh, I've heard of them. Yeah, yeah. Some, some have in this city. Not many. What's cool about the Chicago Bears fans is that they have a, that great chip on their shoulder about winning a, a, a league title 40 years ago. Yeah, yeah. to relate that back to your, our third really passion on this podcast, my two clubs, <laughs> the Bears and Everton football, have not won since 1986. 
Good point. Yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, stave off relegation today, maybe. Baby. <laughs> you know where to pick them? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> maybe is the big word. No, but uh, it is interesting that working on those early weekend mornings, I'm sure, with all the Man United fans and other soccer fans, is it mostly just beers? Not much of a whiskey conversation? Yeah, it was mostly beers. Yeah, honestly, it was mostly beers. Mostly uh, a lot of Stella was sold, a lot of Guinness, a lot oh. of Harp. Um, but, you know, you had the few people coming in that were, you know, willing to try a whiskey at 6 o'clock in the morning. Right. Um, not many, but some, yeah, for sure. When did the whiskey start to pique your interest? Was it that tasting? It was the tasting, yeah. It was the first whiskey class we had where we just tasted, you know, Green Spot, Red Breast, and we kind of got into the history of it. Mm. And, you know, I honestly, I didn't know anything about it until that first class. And it, uh, it's crazy. It kind of started a road for me that's, uh, like I said, that's ended up right here nice very cool is uh, the stelly uh, sorry is the storytelling part of it the history is that one of your favorite elements of actually selling whiskey yeah i think so i think uh you know what is it uh is it Rudyard kipling who said that whiskey is uh, philosophy not uh, not science mm. um so i think yeah you know you think about it takes five years to you know from uh, a distillery ordering a cask to them actually getting it delivered into their uh into their distillery so the lead-in time in all these whiskeys is crazy. And then once you look at a 12 or a 27-year-old whiskey, you're thinking, God, you know, whenever that whiskey went into that barrel, what was I doing? You know, what were we doing 12 years ago? <laughs> yeah, no, the patience is insane. It's, it's really cool. I think it's, you know, it's in a glass in front of us and you drink enough of it, you know, it uh, helps with conversation, you know, helps you have a good time. That's that's what I've always liked about it. It's a, it's a cool it's a cool thing. Mm, I love yeah. that. Um, Why did you choose to bring Red Breast 12 today? Uh, Redbreast 12, uh, number one, because Redbreast 12 has done a big part of keeping a roof over my head for there the last go. seven years. <laughs> like I've that. been selling it as a bartender <laughs> and now I sell it to bars directly. So, uh, as a supplier, so partially because of that. Um, secondly, I think it's like the big, in my opinion, it's, it's kind of the standard bearer of single pot still Irish whiskey, right. um, which is, you know, the most kind of classic, um, true expression of the uniqueness of Irish whiskey. Um, so for people who don't really know, um, Irish whiskey, what kind of makes it classic, in my opinion, is the use of the single pot still. Mm -hmm. um, so it doesn't use a continuous distillation process um, like the column stills that you'll see in a lot of scotches and things. Um, this one uses a single pot still that can't be constantly fed. Once you've put a mash in, distilled it, you have to stop production, clean it out, and start a new batch. So it's a little bit more inefficient. Um, but what I think it results in is a lot more of like a creamier texture, kind of heavier distillate that's a little bit richer. Mm. Um, so that's one of the things that, that Red Breast definitely is. And then secondly, the use of unmalted barley, um, which once again comes through really prevalently in Red Breast. Now, we, we did that because we were trying to avoid tax from the British, um, <laughs> which is the reason why we do a lot of things in Irish, right, right. <laughs> in Ireland. Uh, but what that's resulted in is we, we cut our mash with unmalted barley and it gives it a nice spicy note. Um, I think it's always like, almost like a note of uncut grass. That's like one of the things that's really prevalent in those unmalted barley Irish whiskies. Um, so that's the reason why I picked that. I think it's like the truest expression of, of really unique Irish whiskey. It's interesting that you made your money off of this because it's not like a, it's not overly expensive, but it's not inexpensive whiskey no, to have too. No, so people actually have a nice palate to go into any certain bar you're working at. It, and it's really, I think it's really accessible for people that want to kind of make that move away from, you know, regular Jameson, if you mm. want to try something that's a little bit higher end um, and that kind of can show you the uniqueness of Irish whiskey, I think this one's really approachable um, at that price point. And it's a really easy upsell for bartenders. You mm. know, it's not that much more than a regular Jameson. If you want to try it, um, yeah, it's a, it's a good option. Could we also, oh, go ahead. What would you say for someone who hasn't had Red Breast, but they've had plenty of Jameson, 
what would you say is like the differences between these or you know what sets Redbreast apart from Jameson? I, well, I think one of the big things with Redbreast, and it's kind of true for the whole range, is that high use of the sherry cask mm. um, in the finishing. So they're aged, it's aged in Oloroso sherry casks, um, which you know gives it that kind of really dark fruity notes. Right. Um, and you'll see that the whole way through the range, from 12 all the way up to the 27, you're going to notice those kind of darker notes um, from those kind of fruits from the sherry cask. And it's matured the whole time in the sherry casks? No, it's actually matured in ex-bourbon casks and sherry casks. Okay, great. Um, the reason where that sherry cask influence comes from, it initially started its, its life with uh, W&A Gilby, uh, which was a wine importer mm -hmm. in Dublin. Um, so what they would do is they would buy in uh, sherry um, in bulk in casks from Spain, then they would bottle it and sell it individually. And then they had these empty sherry casks sitting in their, their warehouse. So what they would do is they would just buy in whiskey in bulk from usually actually the Jameson Distillery in Dublin and, and mature that whiskey in those sherry casks and then release it under their own brand. Um, so that's kind of where Redbreast got its start in 1912. Um, 1985 then, Irish distillers purchased it, uh, purchased the brand name. Took a little bit of a hiatus for about six or seven years. Uh, and now we're, we're back going again. It's now the, the most successful hmm. uh, single pot still Irish whiskey. When did it start to take off um, in other places outside of Ireland? It was really kind of around 1995 that it really started to pick up. It was re-released in 1991 um, with the Irish distillers. And in 1995, you, you really started to see it, it exploding in other, other countries. Was it, just, uh, was it just America or was there other Asian markets or all across Europe? Uh, mainly across Europe. Uh, kind of really the big demand for Irish whiskey um, in the 90s started really in the American market, but it's, it's everywhere, you know. It's sold worldwide yep. um, in almost every country. So I think it's the flag bearer for, for Irish whiskey as a, as a brand. Has the exploration of cast finishing always been there with, this, with a, a Redbreast? Uh, so yeah, it, as long as it's as it's existed, it's uh, it's always been aged in the the sherry casks. Mm. That's just you know one of its signature signature things. Um, and then you know they they also do things with the um, they they have a really strong they've they've done a lot of things with with casking recently, right. um, where I think they have a really strong uh, sherry finish on the Oloroso cask. Um, but yeah, it's always been part of the the brand. How has it been working in Chicago selling whiskey behind the bar um, and now and face with other customers? It's been side? it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. been a lot of fun. Yeah, um, I loved it. Um, it's whenever you're working with something that you're interested in, mm. um, you know, you kind of feel like you're never really work a day in your life. You do, um, <laughs> but most days, if you can say most days of the week, you don't feel like you you have a tough job. I think that's uh, that's a that's a good thing to say. Nice. Are you working for both uh, the on and off prem? No, I'm just on premise at the minute, so okay. I'm just uh, just selling to bars and, and restaurants. Any certain favorite places you like to go to have an Irish dram? Uh, yeah, for sure. I, you know, Galway Arms have to have to stay yeah. on to them. Great, uh, great selection. Fado's great. Delilah's great. Delilah's got a great whiskey selection. They're okay. Here. <laughs> <laughs> You're about to get thrown out. Yeah, hopefully. Um, but uh, but yeah, I like that place. Duke of Perth's a great place, even though it's a Scotch bar. They've got some great Irish whiskeys there too. Um, an easy bar actually in, in Wicker Park's a, mm. a great spot for, for a nice whiskey. Didn't even know that actually. Yeah, huh. great little spot. Yeah, check it out. Oh. Any other questions, Matt? Yes, do you find a sense of justice to have your Irish whiskey invading uh, <laughs> other places, you uh, know, as you were so 
much the target of that kind of incursions throughout history? Well, you know, they say, somebody once said that Irish uh, Irish people don't invade, we infest. Um, yeah, so <laughs> I think, yeah. <laughs> I think uh, yeah, I'm pretty happy with it. I think uh, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm happy with it, yeah. Great. Yeah. Uh, do you find an interesting connection between the sherry cask from Spain and the Irish creation myth of sailors from the south often uh, attributed to northern Spain. Yeah, well, you know, there is a big, uh, huge amount of uh, influence from Spain and Ireland as well. I mean, the Spanish Armada shipwrecked off the coast of Ireland. They were oh, taken in and, and, uh, and helped, um, apart from the guys we didn't kill for their shoes. Uh, <laughs> but the other ones were helped. Um, and uh, uh, also, a lot of the Irish revolutionaries fled to Spain. That's why you'll see like a lot of um, Irish um, names in some of the Spanish royal families. Um, there's like O'Hara's and Omar, uh, O'Malley's hmm. there as well. So, yeah. Do you try to relate that history that you grew up with, obviously learned as a kid, into what you do now as a job? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Just with Irish whiskey, you know, it's one of the oldest distillates in the world, you know. So um, it's, it, there's a huge amount of history there that, that it's interacted with Irish history you know, all the way back to the first time a monk distilled, uh, mm-hmm. you know, some, some barley in a, in a yeah, pot still. So. Definitely. A distillate uh, as a drink, right? Because a lot of the early distillates in ancient Egypt where they were making stuff out of, like, ceramic. Perfumes. Perfumes, and things, yeah. stuff right? like yeah. that. Yeah. Matt was there, too, to see it all happen. <laughs> I was there. I've lived many lives. I'm the Kwisatz Haderach. That was your vodka life. <laughs> but let's not talk about it. You really want to put that Yes, the rumors were true. Matt Brown did uh, Moonlight uh, for, Moonlight. A, a, for a vodka company, a, a vodka startup. For six months, I referred to these as, as my wilderness period, lost in the morass of selling vodka somewhat unsuccessfully. Your Christopher McCandless days. Sure. You love that guy. Love that guy. You love that skinny little freak <laughs> eating, uh, eating rotten moose meat in the... We've all seen and read uh, what's that? Uh, what's that book called? Into the Wild. Into, Into the, the Wild. Wild. Of course, that's what we're referring to. If you go to the Key in the Lake wiki, you'll find all the references <laughs> that Jake has made. Have I ever made a reference to it on the podcast? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Catalog with episode numbers. Oh, yes, of all of his references. That's what Matt does in his spare time. Yes, I, me, and Wilson, busy at work, <laughs> keeping up the podcast wiki. Oh, maybe we should get back to our guest. It, it, that's, I'm enjoying the, this. You're the host. <laughs> oh, yeah. You it's do true. it, yeah. Oh, no. Oh, you know, whatever. Seam- I can... Seamless segue, my friend. Thank you so much, Matt. Yeah. Um, do you see yourself doing this for a long term? Like, uh, yeah, I think so. I think uh, I'll always be uh, somewhat adjacent to this, and at least in some level. It, um, yeah, I think once once I worked in the bars for a couple of years, I was like, yeah, this is this is my area. You know, yeah. if I'm not necessarily behind the bar, I'll be... I'll be adjacent to it. So, yeah, I think uh, the, the booze business is, is mm. definitely where I'm going to be staying. So I mean, love that. I don't have any hard skills, so I'm stuck. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I, was, I was kind of thinking the same thing the other day. I'm like, I'm turning 37 this year. My boss is like, what do you want to do long term? I'm like, I don't know. This, yeah. I guess? I don't know. No idea. Just keep promoting me, baby. No ambition. Just yeah, climbing that corporate either. circle. Yeah. <laughs> you caught that one? Yeah. yeah, it's thanks. a circle, not a ladder. No, it's a circle. It just goes around and around. <laughs> and around and around. Uh, do you miss working behind the bar? You know, I do and I don't. Um, I do miss, I miss, you know, that feeling whenever you've worked a really busy shift and yeah. you come home and you crack open that beer and you just, you know, sweat. that was nice. Um, you don't really have that as much in this business. There's, you know, you're kind of running around, but it's, it's not like physical work. So you don't have that 
physical exhaustion at the end of the day. You got to go to the gym and kind of burn some of that stress off. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do miss that, but uh, but I'm loving what I'm doing right now. So yeah, I wouldn't give it up. Awesome. Well, I know you have uh, another event to attend to this I evening do, or do. today, whatever time of day it actually is. I'm not that sure really <laughs> right now in my life. Um, we'll let you get to that. Any last words on uh, Redbreast 12? Uh, no, I just think uh, I think that. It's definitely has a place in every home bar. Um, I think it's if you're going to go for an Irish whiskey that's, you know, a little bit different than Jameson, I would uh, highly recommend Redbreast. Awesome. Well, appreciate it, Mark. Thanks cool. for coming on. Thank Thanks for much. being the first guest of World Whiskey Day yeah, this year in 2023. I'm sure that Delilah's will give you a handshake on the way out, too. <laughs> whatever, whatever that actually means. Um, but, yeah, thanks again for coming on. Um, we'll have to do a full episode with you in the near future. Yeah, for sure. Look thanks, Mark. To yeah, nice thanks, Mark. Yeah. Nice to meet Great you. Great talking to you. All right. All right. Awesome. Thanks, dude. Oh, Matt, what an what a exciting time to start the show. We're going to go to a commercial break. Are right? we? Yeah. Uh, are we getting paid uh, for this one? Blue, blue Chew. Um, <laughs> blue Chew. <laughs> if you have an embarrassing uh, problem with your yeah. penis and you don't want to go to the doctor, although they should check you out because it could be a low blood pressure problem. Yeah, okay, if you want to. Uh, you, you can go online and get some uh, uh, Viagra um, or it's a g- generic uh, counterpart. Shut up. You're still talking. I, I, I just key, realized you're still talking. With the keyword, uh, use the promo code <laughs> uh, key. Key in, key in the lake. Yeah, but ignore, no spaces ignore all that. Or yeah. 10%, uh, a 10% increase. I'm turning your microphone off. And okay. Thank you. I just had to warn you on that every time. Well, that was an awesome introduction into World Whiskey Day, starting off over in Ireland. I think we're all friend, fans of uh, Redbreast. We've all tried it in the past, had many different skews from them. Obviously, I uh, wanted to have Mark on for the podcast for quite some time, so I'm glad he finally got a, got here today on World Whiskey Day, and it all worked out. Thank you to Callum O'Donnell for the assist of setting that awesome. Episode, or that uh, interview up, unlike Matt Brown, who failed to do that earlier. Michael this Kilmer, call us. We'd love to have you on the podcast. <laughs> should we bring We'd up? love to have you listen to the podcast. Yes, I think he might. Um, should we bring up our next guest? Let's do it. All right. Well, we are going uh, b- coming back over to America to taste a little outlet out of... Thank you. Um, this is a little outfit out of Colorado, and one of their market managers here in Illinois is here to join us. Uh, Lucas is making his way around the table, narrating him all the way into the seat that was Thank you. holding it. You know, two red beards in a row. Like, we just lucked out. It's an enigma almost. Oh, my goodness. Could uh, Where's Eric? He should dye his beard red before he comes on the Everyone stage. Everyone should always dye their beard yeah. red, at least once in their life. Um, uh, well, Lucas, uh, thanks for coming up here today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Uh, pleasure to have you. Um, first time we're having Woody Creek on the podcast as well, nice. which is really funny. Uh, do you know Tim, who's a single barrel snob on Instagram by chance? Ooh, maybe? He's doing a tasting with you guys next week in Louisville, and he was talking all about it on Instagram Live last night, and I was sitting in the back of a cab on the way home from the airport, and you got to enjoy that. I'm like, all right, here's a nice little oh, kind of awesome. like setup for tomorrow's podcast as we uh, have you on. No, 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 I'll have to check that out. No, yeah. I've never Imagine Jake Huckey, a person who does a whiskey podcast, works whiskey for a living, watching an Instagram Live <laughs> in the back of a cab. It's just commitment, man. It's you know, it certainly is. Sometimes you get bored in those long rides back from O'Hare after a long week of actually being in Colorado. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. Nice Didn't man. make it out to your guys' neck of the woods. but That's well, pretty far out. If you go to Denver, it's like you're driving three hours into the mountains. So. For sure. And I don't blame you. I don't no. Blame you. Yeah. No, I've been, I've driven by your distillery, actually. Yeah. Um, in the past, I did an event up in Snowmass a few years ago. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah I was making yeah. my yeah. way around and kind of going hiking. And I was like, oh, I should stop by the distillery. But you were closed on Sundays, unfortunately. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <sighs> yes. Awesome. So, the Lord. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Yes, definitely. Um, so how did you get started with Woody Creek, Luke? Um, so it actually started back pre-pandemic. Um, I was looking to transition out of the bar world. Um, 
and uh, sound familiar? <laughs> <laughs> Might be a to, constant thing. Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty classic transition. Um, and had just stumbled across, um, you know, a post, a job listing from them, and then I did a little research on their company, saw what they were kind of all about, and um, went through a couple rungs of interviews. And this was literally in like April of 2019, and then. Yeah, they got, I got hired, and then they were like, "Well, you know, this this COVID thing, you know, we're gonna we, we're gonna bring out the distillery, but uh, we're gonna wait. Let's wait until maybe next month, and then next month came. They're like, "Yeah, it's still kind of around. Let's wait till the summer. Summer came around. They're like, "Yeah, we're gonna close off this position for now." Oh wow! So um, so then you know that happened, and then a few years go by, and um, yeah, and then just you know last year they they reached out to me again and asked if I was still interested, uh, and I said I'm definitely interested. So yeah, that's kind of how that got going. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, how'd you find Woody Creek? Or they find you? Um, I found you them. Just told the story, Jay. Sorry, yeah. I was fixing. I was fixing the audio. Sorry. Well, so yeah. he was looking to transition. I know, but I know if like uh, I know if maybe like someone reached out to the you from the distillery. Yeah. So, you so applied to a job I know. Never mind. Um, thank you, Matt, for that. Well, it actually. Well, there, there's a little bit more to it. Is that? Yeah. I had. Maybe I know some of the backstory. Wanted to share it with everybody, Matt. I'm getting to hear. There's a little bit more. A little bit more to it. But I I was looking at going the distributor route, and then as that didn't as that didn't work out the one of the you know one of the CEOs over there was like well we know a, a, one of our brands is looking for somebody and that's how they kind of put that bug in my ear of, of Woody Creek and then once I came across their job posting I looked into it even more so so there was a little more it's right so, so thanks for asking well Jay. you know you showed this with me before in a bar so I was like just trying to get everything out of the situation all the stories you want to hear all the stories in this podcast hold now. on there so you almost work for momentum is that what I'm gathering or uh, I at a time I had applied for them uh, I did not get the position but oh. Everything is, it's, yeah. it's, you know, everything's yeah. circular. I came back and I'm, I'm seeing the same people. I'm uh, back in there. So uh, what bars were you working at before? Uh, so I worked a lot with, like, I, I started when I came into Chicago. I worked in a lot of corporate locations, mainly with Let Us Entertain You. Oh, cool. Um, so I did my run with them, did the, the casual, and then I did the fine dining, um, which is where I kind of got a lot of my whiskey exposure, like the higher end exposure, was working with, like, the, uh, the RPM group. Um, and then, then I went and I, I started doing a little bit more like independent smaller groups or even privately owned, um, which where I got to learn a little bit more about like development, program development, just got to get my hands in the programs a little right. bit more. Um, so yeah, I've been, I've been all over the city, you know, just working with whiskey, working with agave. Um, yeah, it's been, it's, it's, it's been about a 10 year ride of that, which is, you know, long enough once you get to a point. It's like yeah, it's about right. It's time. Most tenders, yeah. yeah. Start to, like, it's like I can't do this anymore. I gotta, I gotta transition. Start hearing those brand ambassador positions and market manager positions, yeah, exactly. taking them a little bit more seriously. Yeah, exactly. Understandable. Exactly. Uh, do you miss that side of the industry, or are you enjoying this more? I definitely, I enjoy this a lot. Um, I, do, I occasionally will miss the like social interaction, the the this like the the regular development the creative outlet, um, but it's just a different, I remember talking to one of my buddies when he transitioned um, out of the bar side of the world to the more of like the supplier marketing side, he was like, you know, it's just a different part of your brain that you're using. Mm. You know, it's, you know, bartending, it's it's hard. Like it is, it, people often mis don't think it's a hard gig, but like your brain is going a million miles a minute and it's just, but you can get into like a routine, you almost get robotic. So mm. you get into a groove and like once you're in the pocket, then you're just like in it. Whereas with this, you kind of have to get a little bit more, you know, you have to look, think a little bit more outside of the box. You have to kind of adapt and adjust a little bit more 
the planning, the multitasking is a little bit different. So it's, it's similar, but it's just like, it's like, it's so true. It's just a different part of your brain. Right. Yeah. yeah. You have to give a lot of yourself to those customers right in front of you at that time. Right. Um, give them all of your attention physically. You're always on your feet. Right. And similar to this job where you're kind of out there giving yourself to the buyer, to the GM, whoever exactly. you're selling in front of. Still selling yourself just in a different way. Yeah. I mean, we always yeah. say on this podcast, you know, people are buying us, the people behind the brand as much as they're actually oh, buying for the sure. brand themselves. For sure. Cause you look at, when you look at like relationships that you build with programs, it's, you know, they're investing in you you just as much as they're you're like trying to invest in them it's like do you want to have a good partnership with this program you know do you think it's going to be one that's fruitful yeah. you know are you guys going to be able to make this you know especially like a brand like woody creek where you know we're not a massively well-known name out here in the midwest it's like people are going to be, they're taking a chance on the brand by me being like hey i'm going to be in this account i'm going to be active i'm going to be doing activations events um i'm out here like i will make sure that people know about this brand it's shocking. I was just talking to somebody the other day who drinks a lot of whiskey and knows a lot about whiskey. And I told them you were coming on the podcast, and they go, "What's Woody Creek?" Like, yeah. You really don't know who Woody, Woody Creek is? Yeah. It's shocking yeah. for that. No, and that's been that's been one of the biggest hurdles, especially out here in the Midwest, is that like, it's such a saturated market. I mean, whiskey every mar every whiskey market is saturated, but like the Midwest is like there is so much out here. There is so many options for an independent brand or smaller brands to come through and start making waves or get noticed. You really got to put in. You got to put in the effort. It's the hardest market. Market. Yeah, it's undoubtedly. It's the hardest market in the country. Undoubtedly. I think a lot of people um, have their, you know, qualms with that. But, you know, if you're in, if if you're an East Coast brand, the farthest west, west you want to try is Chicago, yeah. Illinois. Yeah. Furthest west, if, if you're a West Coast brand, the furthest east you want to try is Chicago. Ditto with, you know, from the south. Um, people look at this and they see, oh, it has a nice blend of, like, <laughs> high class and working class. And you got Vinny's, which is 45 stores. As long as I get into Vinny's and a few of these nice restaurants, and yeah. then I haven't made, and, and they are uh, yeah. almost always in for a rude awakening that's a little more nuanced than that. Yeah, it definitely is. Yeah, so the, it's still a part of the hand sell that comes once you get into Vinny's, how are you going to get those bottles off the shelf? Right. It, that's a whole other exactly. You hire this guy. That's it. You like, hire like, someone yeah. in the market. Oh, the boots it. on the ground, baby. That's yeah. it. Just, like, how do you get people, like, when you're walking down an aisle at Benny's or, like, at a liquor store, how do you get people to stop and see your brand? How do you get people to actually look at your bottle? Give them cash. Yeah, that's, you know, that's, and eventually that maybe becomes part of the game. I grab like, them. I physically grab them. I've seen it happen twice. Just start throwing bottles across the aisles of people. Lucas, I'm curious your take, and maybe you can tell everyone here, uh, on the celebrity connection that there is at Woody Creek. and. Does that help or hinder your ability to sell here? Oh, sure, yeah. Well, that's interesting. That's actually a very interesting point. So William H. Macy, uh, he is our spokes dude, and he is awesome. So he's not just our spokes dude. He is official you know, title spokes dude. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> honestly every time he gets uh, listed on our post, he, he's our official spokes dude. But he's got part ownership in it as well. He grows some of uh, some of our potatoes for our products on his land as well. So he's he's as integrated as he can be. As he's not just a face. He's actually very involved. He does commercials. He goes out into the market he does things um so his relationship with chicago is obviously really great because of shameless yeah. like there is a mad love for that man out here um and just a respect for his body of work and who he is as a person i saw him um, when they were filming it yeah working at union sushi thanks nice. saw that guy cool dude so nice very, he's, he's the nicest. very large features all these actors have very large features. You see them in person, you're like, wow, that's a big old head on that guy. <laughs> but he's it looks a short good, man, though. I'm also, yeah. oh, Jake is passing me a note. Stop talking about, <laughs> stop talking about his, okay. I'll stop talking about his big head. It's, so to answer your question, it's, it's, 
you know, a lot of times when consumers see that a if there's a celebrity represent a representation for a brand, it kind of there is a, a side that can people can turn their nose up at. Yeah. Um, but I think once once they realize that you know this is he's not just a face and that he actually comes out to the market, he actually is involved in the brand. He's involved in a lot of the you know not so much direct production but his opinion is pretty valued within you know within ownership mm-hmm. um and then they actually get to taste our product and they're like okay all right we get we get a little bit right. we get a little bit more what's going on here but it can sometimes be a hindrance you know when, when people see oh there's a celebrity on this yeah it's gimmicky yeah, they but it's slapping their name on it too. yeah exactly you know? exactly yeah. but again like once i tell him it's he's not just slapping his name on it yeah like i saw him when he came into the chicago market last time he hand signed at the Momentum Warehouse, he probably hand signed over like 400 bottles <laughs> that we went out and sold. Like he was there for hours hand signing bottles that went out. And then later that day, we went. He should have signed his talked. name, not just wrote Fargo on him. Ah, you know what? It's yeah. He, we should have suggested it next time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> wood chipper. I'm getting another. Wood chipper. No, I'm getting another note from Jake. <laughs> you were going in the wood Stop chipper. Stop talking about <laughs> William Macy. No, he's a he's a good looking man, yeah, according no. to you, Matt. I like that his uh, I like his hair situation, the long hair and beard. He's slowly mor- morphing into Vincent Van Gogh. He's getting a very yeah. Uh, hopefully he keeps his beard. Yeah, 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 that's yeah. true. Hopefully he keeps them both of them. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I actually saw him last year at the Whiskeys of the World at Benny's, and oh, yeah? I, he was like running around pouring bottles, and I'm I kind of like recognize him. Like, why do I recognize that guy? And then walk by again past your booth, and I'm like, is that William H Macy? And he was just so interactive with people. Yeah. That you couldn't tell me I'm a celebrity or I'm somebody of person, somebody endorsing this brand because of my face or my my background in acting. It's just I'm just out here just selling with you. Yeah, just out here being a part yeah. of something. Yeah, he's definitely he loves it too. He's actually he approached us, which was even more unique. I was wondering, yeah. Um, is he moved in pretty close next to our owners? Um, so he, when he moved to Aspen, um, he moved very close to our owners who were growing potatoes on their 20 acres. And he was like, what's going on? What is this all about? And they told him the story, huh. and he got really interested, and he was like, what, can I get involved? And we're like, can you get involved? Uh, yeah, <laughs> so yeah, you want, can. So he wanted the drink for free. Uh, <laughs> can you share that story that the owner shared with William H. Macy about the brand itself? Yeah, sure, uh, of course. So Woody Creek has been around since about 2012. Um, Pat and Mary Scanlon, they are owners. Um, they decided after uh, you know long careers that they wanted to start making uh, a spirit company we started with vodka um, we wanted to use premier you know local Colorado items and we wanted to be as close to home as they could be um, in terms of production and quality so uh, they started making they started growing potatoes uh, and yeah, 2012, we started production. And then as soon as we started bottling, like we had a lot of great success. Uh, we took it to San Francisco. We won double gold and best in show. Like it, it was, we knew automatically like that, that we had something good on our hands. Um, and then that sustained, the vodka sustained us, you know, for a few years to be able to start then making our whiskey. We actually also got into like apple brandies as well. And all of our products still, again, are just everything is brought from around the you know pretty close to where like the Roaring Fork Valley is so all of our potatoes uh, were, were started they were grown in Roaring Fork Valley um, on their land and now it's so that we've amped up production so much um, you know it's 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 surrounding plots now not right. all in just Roaring Fork Valley but it's primarily where it all started um, so yeah and then we started making brown and then there it goes and then everything starts happening and then Macy joined us on <clears throat> probably about 
about six, seven years later, uh, about 2018, okay. when he approached us. Um, yeah, and it's been a, it's we've we've managed to really get ourselves get a good foothold in the Colorado market as one of the most more respected, uh, one of the you know it's a it's a pretty household name right. out there, um, and it helps having Macy like mm. you know he uh, he really helps having that you know out there. But I think the community in general just I think just Colorado's community in general really appreciates you know a lot of the producers out yeah. there. Yeah. Like they're like, very loyal to products that are made in the state that that is their own and we really benefit from that yeah i feel like colorado is they're all about the craft scene absolutely with beer now with distilling yeah um can you talk a little bit about i know the climate is a little different where mm -hmm. where woody creek is it's pretty dry isn't yeah it? Like yeah it's it a is pretty dry like almost desert like climate. It, can, it, it can be yeah so we we distill so basalt colorado is up um it's up in the mountains it's at around seven thousand feet elevation um, you know, the benefit of that, all of our rick houses are temperature and humidity controlled. Oh, okay. So, like, it really doesn't affect us at all. Um, the only thing that elevation real, ever really affects is the temperature at which water boils. Um, but once you have it on such a large-scale production where you're doing, like, you know, massive amounts and large large stills, like, it's, you're not going to really see too much of a difference. Yeah. But, yeah, no, if, if we weren't controlling our humidity and temperature, there would be a ton of fluctuation and you would honestly probably lose, you know, a lot to that angel share. Yeah. It would be a ton that you'd be losing. But, yeah, no, we're pretty fortunate to not so have to deal with that. pumping humidity in because Yes, it's so exactly, dry. exactly. Yeah. Well, we keep it, we'll, yeah, usually it's pumping it in. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, last time I was there, uh, we've got, like, a, like, it's it's a humidity machine, and every, like, 14, like, 20 seconds, you hear a little, little yeah. rust of, uh, yeah, moisture coming out. But, yeah, it keeps it at a, a steady level. How do you feel that helps the barrels? When it having that humidity come in there at a constant rate like that, uh, I honestly, how does it help the barrels? Yeah, I mean it probably keeps them from it keeps your your moisture flow, your product flow mm -hmm. in and out of those staves a little bit more consistent rather than the wood drying up, um, and keeping it a little bit more of like a barrier. Yeah. So you're probably you're getting which is when you you taste our product, you get a really subtle amount of um, barreling because it's a four to six year our standard. Uh, whiskeys are four to six years yeah right but they have a really nice subtle um caramel honey nature to them so mm. we're not getting a ton of temperature fluctuation so the product isn't moving in and out of those staves constantly it's more of a very like gentle gradient in which you're right. getting that flavor it's not overly aggressive in any way it's just a really pleasant you know a, it, it makes for a really pleasant easy drink yeah. Honestly, yeah. I guess yeah. a really bright future then of actually aging for a much longer period of time once the brand grows. And, yeah, yeah, absolutely. When we have, I mean, we even still have in the market. Like we started making our whiskey production a couple years after you know after we started after we opened. So we have a couple you know single barrels out there that are at that ten year mark. Right. Um, it's just you know there's only so many of them, right? Mm. Um, Benny's has has some of them. They've got they've got I think uh, they've got an eight year weeded. Uh, single barrel uh, it's like 128 proof it's it's a kicker for sure um, but but yeah yeah no it definitely there is a lot of and we even just started uh, we're starting not even starting we're we're in the midst of production of um, of constructing uh, larger space oh well wow. yeah yeah let's talk about this rye we're tasting right now first sure. before we get to the bourbon this rye is kick-ass man yeah. it is it is really special um, so it's a true 100% rye 
uh, which is a pretty unique thing. It's just riser. You know, anyone who has ever distilled or, you know, knows about rise, they're just, they are a pain in the ass to make. Um, they're very messy. They're not cost effective. They take a lot of time. It's a dirty plant. It is. It grows close to the ground. Nasty little guy. Some describe you that way, Matt. Yeah. Yeah. But we yeah, still love you. I'm always, always projecting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this particular rye uh, is a Colorado strain called Elben rye. Uh, what's really unique about it is a lot of rye um, can tend to be very peppery and spicy. Uh, this rye is not. It still gives you that dry quality that you want from a rye, uh, but it has more notes of like a little bit of citrus. And honestly, you get a little spearmint in there too. Mm -hmm. uh, our distiller, Dave Matthews, he really, he really went out and, and took a lot of time uh, to try and find the exact... Um, strain that he wanted to use for this rye because he wanted it to be a unique rye. We want it to be a rye that's like not, it's not meant for only rye drinkers. For someone who's not a rye drinker, you can try this rye and you can, I've turned a lot of non-rye drinkers into individuals who are considered drinking rye with this rye. Oh, cool. And what do they say <laughs> I about that? God, I know it. Every, you know, it's a, I, the amount of times he gets that, though. He's a good sport about it. Dave's a good sport about it. He, he's a legend in uh, distilling. He was a yeah. uh, uh, master brewer at Sam Adams. Is that right? For Or where was he at? Where was he at before? What was his, what's his lineage to the distilling? So I know that he was distilling out on the East Coast uh, for quite some time. Uh -huh. uh, and then prior to... He actually owned a macadamia farm uh, oh, cool. in France. Hmm. Um, As we all do, a common uh, step on most of our career. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually should have done that after bartending, gone to the macadamia farm, and then the supplier <laughs> side. I just, I just, I skipped that, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. I'm furiously downloading David Matthews, Sam Adams, but I Finding don't think I'm there. gonna. Uh, <laughs> yeah, whoops. Oh, too bad. No. Can you uh, edit uh, that out? No. And double my stain, joke. Stain, <laughs> in, <laughs> stain in, baby. Stain in forever. Uh, what type of barrels are you using to age in? So we're using American American oak barrels. Um, we're aging them. We're charred at number three char, so it's not overly aggressive. Um, again, it really makes for a nice, mild barrel flavor, honey flavor, carameled. Um, but yeah, we're using uh, new American oak uh, for, for all, all of our barrels. Yeah, to get back to the conversation about Colorado, it's a very provincial, prideful state when it comes to craft. Uh, much like Chicago, where we have craft beer that kind of started our whole movement into craft uh, that started and in, evolved into the restaurant world, obviously into the distilling world too. I think with Colorado, it's such a hard place to um, break into from outside markets. And for you guys, how did you start to expand across that state? Did it, was it kind of accepted right away? Yeah, no, it was. It was uh, honestly, it was. Uh, it was. It was pretty. It was pretty accepted. You know, I think. You know, when you look at the big houses that are there and the ones that were there before us, you know, there's been a really big boom. I'd say within you know the past 10, 20 years uh, with the the Colorado distilling scene. You, yeah. Like you see a lot more independent brands. Woody Creek has a great relationship with a lot of other uh, distilleries. Now we've got a great relationship with Old Elk. Um, we've, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the producers, everyone kind of, everyone helps each other cool. over there. So like everyone as it's like the, the slow tide rising, like everyone, if everyone's doing well, everyone's going to be doing well. You know, we did a recent collab with the weeded whiskey yeah, kind of thing. Uh, yeah, there's just like yesterday, eight other, right? yeah, 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 exactly. It's just like eight other distilleries. We all kind of like added into, um, uh, one single kind of production, uh, and it's pretty cool. I'd be very curious to try it. Yeah, I heard about what's like eight different distilleries across yeah. Colorado, yeah. all made wheat whiskeys and then blended them together, yeah. and then released them at uh, each one's distillery yesterday. Exactly. That's yeah. Right. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so cool. It's very, very cool. So. Like, like, like the Four Kings here in Chicago, Matt. Hmm. Isn't that fun? Isn't that real fun? You had a fun time selling that, right? 
Blum Brothers was involved, but prior to my involvement, my career with them. Okay. I never had this out. All right. Well, let's talk about the bourbon from Woody Creek and not your career, man. Drink this bourbon. Hey, <laughs> by Dave Matthews. You should have bought your band, band guy. <laughs> All right. So, well, the bur- thanks, Matt. Thanks yeah, for that. Beautiful, by the way. Um, should have never asked you to come. <laughs> Yeah, you made a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> that was evident from bit one. The suspension should have lasted longer. Minimum five years. So, the whiskey, our bourbon, uh, also similarly aged four to six years. Um, both of them at 90 proof. So, our mash bill on this is 70% corn, 15% rye, 15% barley. Mm. Um, and again, because of our rye that we use, it really allows this bourbon to be sweet without being like a sweet wheat or like a mash like a corn mash flavor the corn really comes through mm-hmm. um and allows it to be sweeter than you would expect it to be um but in a really nice way like again not in a pure mash flavor um and again it's all of it's coming from colorado too our um our method of distillation you know we 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 keep it pretty simple we try to leave all of our natural flavors because we're really proud we've got relationships with all of our purveyors, we've had long-time relationships with all of them. We trust them. Um, so we single distill and we don't chill filter any of our products. We're using a mix. For our whiskeys, we're using pot stills. And then for our clears, we're using our column stills. Okay. Um, and we definitely, we, we did not spare expense when it came to, you know, getting getting our the quality of the stills. You know, we're getting Carl stills from Germany. Like, they are, they are top-notch um, stills. So, you know... It, it allows, you know, I always say when people try our, our whiskeys that because of the way that we distill it, it, the finish on all of our products are really nice. They're long. You don't get any astringency, none yeah. of the ethanol. Um, it's just a really nice, pleasant finish on all of it. It's really tasty how, um, like, that spearmint flavor comes out again in, there, in that bourbon, yeah. too. Yeah. Um, but yeah. then, like, the, or the barley really comes through as well and it shines yeah. nicely with the corn. Yeah, it's a really great balanced, um, it's, it's a really great balanced bourbon, you know. It's not too much of one thing. Right. Uh, it's an easy drinker, and 90 proof. Yeah, super easy drinker. It's been, you know, as as popular as our rye is across all of our markets. The bourbon has. I mean, the Midwest is a bourbon town. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no no ignoring and no fighting <laughs> that. So I've had a lot of great success with the bourbon. People are most interested in trying that, but I'll always recommend after they try the bourbon. I'm like, okay, I know you're not looking for a rye. I know you don't want rye, but please just try this rye. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. No, that's yeah. delicious. Um, how have you found success in the market here in Chicago? It's been it's been an ever changing kind of like adaptation of, of approach. Mm. Um, again, as like an indiv- more as a smaller unknown brand, um, I'm not even smaller. I mean, we're we're in like 15 to 20 different states, so yeah. we're out here. Like we're but as in terms of like the big houses, yeah. yeah like, I mean, you know, Sazerac is kind of like just <laughs> got the market you know by the throat. You know, everyone's just wanting to get their points. But you know, it's just been it's really been leaning on. You know, I think a lot of people have kind of gotten frustrated with that point allotment system to yeah. the point where it's like they don't even want to. Like, mm. they almost are like boycotting. Uh, and like, they're <laughs> like, I will actively carry other things because I don't want to be waiting on my two bottles of Buffalo Trace. Right. Um, which, like, I mean, the market kind of sets the tone on that. But, you know, I've, it's all about finding those, those right buyers and those right relationships. You know, people that are wanting to look at independent brands, people that want yeah. to expose something else other than stuff that everyone's been having the same thing like for the past 10 15 20 years it's like there is other product out yeah. there and you should absolutely be drinking it um so you know it's it's 
it's it's been a, a bit of like structuring and restructuring on how I go and find those because um, they're out there. You know, I've, I've developed some really great relationships all over um, with buyers and even other you know suppliers. It's you know it's it's definitely a relationship based game. Yep. This uh, and it it helps to have a product that speaks for itself. I always said if I when I switch over and I start working for a brand. I cannot work for a brand that I do not personally endorse myself because I don't want to lie to people and be like, you should definitely drink this. Yeah. And it's actually just hot trash. No, uh, you have a very great whiskey brand to believe in right there. I think as craft brands, small brands, whatever you want to call distilleries that are growing, as they're maturing and producing whiskey of this quality, there's something out there for the market to adjust to. There's some, they don't have to rely on the older guys. They can trust yeah. these, the newer guys coming up. Absolutely, man. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I know you need to get out of here to another event. Yes. Uh, everyone has a busy world whiskey day. Always. And you have a bit of a drive as well. A little bit. A a little yeah. bit that Saturday yeah. afternoon traffic, but hey, um, Lucas, this is a, a pleasure. I'm so yeah. glad you had to come on the podcast finally, um, taste out these two great whiskeys, and hang out with us in Delilah's on World Whiskey Day. Hell yeah, I appreciate you guys. Thank yeah. you all yeah. so much. Awesome. Well, thank for you, sure. Lucas. Yeah, appreciate take it. care. Yeah. Thank Thanks, you. Lucas. You're yeah. welcome. How'd you guys like that whiskey out there in the crowd? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, a lot of first timers trying it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, delicious stuff. Uh, we will definitely get them on for a longer episode, just like we do what we need to do with Mark as well, um, to have a little bit more of an explanation about Woody Creek. This is yeah, one so of those. Go brands. to commercial. Um, actually, uh, High Life is going to sponsor this commercial. Okay, okay. Does anybody want a High Life? We would love to buy you a High Life. Um, just raise your hand. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven High Lives. All right, Matt, could you Nine, help out with that at the bar? Ten. I think ten High ten. Lives. Um, awesome. We will get that going, and we will get our next guest up here as well as we keep things going live um, for a studio audience. So. Matt, what do you think blue, of Woody Creek? Blue, blue Apron. Uh, can you not manage Stop. your life in in nearly the simplest terms to, to feed yourself? No, we need to use stop, promo stop with the commercials. We, we don't need to. We can just talk about each other for the, right now, Got it. if that's okay, okay with you. As promo the, code. Jake in the lake. Jake in the lake. Can you hand this over to the bartender? So yeah, sure. I, we have a little bit of a card going, so he doesn't think we're stealing highlights from anybody. You don't like the commercial bit, huh? No, I'm going to lay off the commercial bit. I think you're making all of our guests feel uncomfortable, too. <laughs> oh, definitely. Um, Lucas, thank you again for coming out with us. Uh, I'm just going to kill some time here as we start pushing things out. Oh, we got some, tr some POS. Some, I'll, have a, I'll have some sunglasses. It's a little bright in here. You know, so as our next guests flutter in, I can have some sunglasses to actually enjoy. Chris, have you had experiences with Woody Creek in the past? Yes, I have. And uh, I did want to say, like, if people are not aware of that brand, it's one of the brands that should be on people's radar. Really great whiskey. But, yeah, I've, I've been to a couple events that they've done here in Chicago. And um, I got to meet William H. Macy at one of them. And, uh, Good friends now? I'm, yeah, we're best friends. <laughs> and But I just think, um, you know, brands like that that are putting out really high-quality whiskey, it's aged four to six years. I mean, there's a ton of stuff out in the market that you can get for four to six years. Absolutely. And they're doing just a fabulous job. Yeah. Uh, at, and I especially like their rye. That rye is that's really tasty. So good. Yeah, it's uh, it's nice to actually sit down and visit it this time. Whenever I have it, it's always usually in Colorado. I'm fortunate enough to cover that market out there for Star Wars. So I get to go out there and have a lot of these really great whiskeys that are coming out of Colorado. We have another great Colorado whiskey distillery coming on here in a little bit of the podcast. But Eric, settle down. Settle down. You'll, you'll, you'll have your turn to talk about the good old Old Elk. But now um, we are turning our attention to a local He looks very settled. 
He does look very. He looks like to kill me actually. Mm-hmm. In a yeah. Way. Yeah. I'm kind of scared right now. It's because he's a Liverpool fan, and it's really sad. Let's talk to a nice guy. Nice right guys. Um, yeah, we're turning our attention to Chicago-based distillery, uh, Judson & Moore, which is new to the scene here. And we have Joe, who's one of their distillers on the podcast today. Hi, you guys. How's it going? Doing Welcome great. Thanks for, thanks for coming out. And what a lovely coat. Thank Just, you, sir. Yeah, great. Is um, a, we call it a blazer-ish? Uh, yeah, something like that. Oh, all right. Let's go, let's go with that. It's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, appreciate you being here, man. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. Um, we're new, and we're really excited to... To share all that we can. Yeah. So, yeah, any questions? We can't wait to, to hear about it. Uh, I know Chris has been on a tour to Judson & Moore, correct? Yes, I have. I have it not made it to the distillery yet, but I'll let you... Beautiful, beautiful facility. It's on Rockwell on the River. Is that what That's it's called? Right. That whole complex? Yeah, and it used to be a tannery. Yes. Um, so, yeah, that, that's that's what all that was built out for. They probably had no interest in proximity to the river, um, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, times changed, and now there's uh, we got great friends at Metropolitan Brewery. Um, some of our used cooperage we sent over there. They they won a medal at uh, Fobab this year. Oh, cool! With some of that stuff, and um, yeah, we love them. Metropolis Coffee Roasters. Uh, love that. So yeah. yeah, we're we're out there and, and we're doing it there. We've got a 500 gallon Vendome still. Nice. Um, made in Kentucky, and uh, she's a beauty. Um, yeah, and you can see it through the windows, right? You can. Okay, I, yeah. I know I've walked by. I've been the metro quite a few times, um, and I didn't even know this is about a year ago, maybe last summer, year and a half ago, and I'm like. What's, what is there a distillery here now? Like, <laughs> yeah. how, is there, how did the distillery sneak up on me in Chicago I didn't know about? Yeah, we have a beautiful hybrid still there, um, which is really fun, and we, we mess with it a bunch. Uh, currently, when we're doing our runs, we're, we're letting it wide open. Nice. Um, so everything's coming through. Not quite as a line arm would function because you don't get the same pressures, but, um, yeah, it, we, we're loving it. It, it. it makes great whiskey, I think. And you have just the pot? Do you have any uh, column plates? On? We, we've got a column, yes. Okay. It's a hybrid. So we've got the pot, 500 gallons, and then yeah. we've got four plates on top of okay. it. And okay. then we've also got um, a deflagmator. There's okay. so much dispute about how to say that, right? Yeah. Deflagmator, deflagmator, precondenser? I like precondenser. I like precondenser, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's easier to say. Um, so, yeah, and, and we use that quite a bit. Nice. Um, it, near the end of the run to, to bring everything back down and to check and, and get, get the last of, you know, what, what, um, what's good out of there. Yeah. Um, congeners, all that. Um, we can get into that details, too. Um, first off, could we hear a little bit about how Judson & Moore started here in Chicago? Yeah, so I'm, I'm one of the distillers there. I was, with, I was the first hire, and it was stu- started by my mentor, my boss, uh, Colin Moore, and his father-in-law, Judson Bergman. Um, they started the, the company off, and that's, that was about – I mean, they – the company had been, the brew, or the distillery had been in works for a long time. I think something like ten years before really? this date. Yeah, um, since they had the idea, had to find the place, source all the always equipment, wanted to be all in Chicago. that. Yeah, always wanted it to be in Chicago, and always wanted to be using local, you know, stuff from around here, and a lot of stuff um, from the north. Um, but yeah. It started out here, and that—that's kind of our history. We, our oldest barrel was made in January 2020. Okay. So we're finally at three year. We're really young. We're really new. It's—it's it's such an honor to sit here and and be on this podcast with, I mean, Redbreast, one of my Thank personal you. favorites. <laughs> um, but also, all these other guys are doing great stuff and are are really successful at it. You know, we're just getting our go at it, yeah. and and we're over the moon. We're really excited to 
to start doing it. So well, we're happy to have you here. Um, when M- Mike Miller, who owns Delilah's, when him and I were talking about doing this podcast and setting it up, he, you know, I had the names of about four or five distilleries that had were either yeses or maybes, and he's like, "What well, about a local guy?" And I, like, I was thinking about that. Uh, Matt Brown was supposed to call one of the local guys, never did. Uh, so we reached out to you guys instead, which is a lot better, I think, instead of Matt Brown reaching out to somebody from Few or somebody else. As always, Michael Kilmer, please <laughs> listen to the podcast. Please acknowledge no, uh, me. Please be my friend. No, actually, we're going to have two local please distilleries on in that sense. But um, no, we wanted to have somebody kind of on to talk about what's happening here in Chicago because we've been... Then what are you complaining about? I'm not complaining boy? about anything. I'm just trying to describe the whole situation, paint a little picture for everybody out there. Is that Great. okay with you? Yeah. I'll continue. Thank you, Matt. You're um, welcome. Yeah, so we've had these distilleries in Chicago for about the last 14, 15 years that have established themselves, becoming dominant in the local market, spreading across the United States. And then we have you guys that are just sprouting up, which is awesome to hear that distilling isn't just settling in those older distilleries, but people are still finding a new footway to evolve. Yeah, totally true. And we're in Vinny's now. Nice. So, well, just like he was talking you're about, you're done. Yeah, yeah. You're that's, walk away. Yeah. As as your fellow was saying, that's not exactly the case. Yeah. yeah so yeah. We, we can't just uh, call it in and stop right now. But yeah, we're excited about it. It's a, it's a huge step for us. So, was your uh, back? What was your background before distilling? Um, I liked machinery, so I worked with motorcycles. Oh, nice. Yeah, I worked in the bars too, and um, I had a little uh, experience in um, in distilling, and then you know got put on with Colin. I was actually friends with uh, his brother-in-law. So that's how I got related to all of them. Wow. So when did their, how did their conversation from what started a distillery to finding the right places, finding the machines to actually come into operation, when did that really come into effect? That, that's a really difficult question for me to answer oh, because yep. I wasn't there yeah, for it. But yeah. any qu- technical question you have about our process or yeah. that, I can easily Let's get into technical questions then. Matt has a lot yeah. of technical questions cool. to yeah. ask. Yeah, how long is your ferment? Uh, <laughs> it depends. And actually, we... we you know, it, it really does depend. So we, we've done, we, we do a lot of experimentation. And right. in the early times, we started with four-day ferments. Sure. And with proper yeast nutrient, with the right yeast, with, you know, we check our pH and our bricks yeah. all the time. Yeah, yeah. And um, we've been able to get that down to three days. Oh, great. Um, so we're, we're pretty happy with what's coming out at three days. We uh-huh. think that it, it's it's developed, that, you know, the, the congeners, there's a good level of them, mm-hmm. that it, it's a nice, even thing that is going to work out and, and distill well. Um, rye, as um, our friend was saying earlier, is a little bit more difficult to, so, to make. <laughs> um, but it's yeah. a fickle lab. Yeah. So yeah, yeast nutrient was a, was a huge help um, with us in, in that. So yeah, we'll do like a three-day ferment on a yeah. bourbon, say. Um, and then we'll, we'll run it through. We'll, we do a two distillation cycle. So we'll create low wines, and then we'll do a final mm-hmm. pass. And, that's when organoleptically the distillers at my company decide what's going to be put into a barrel. What yeah. did, did you guys first to start distilling over there? Uh, the first barrel was a rye. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And rye is, is one of our focuses. We're really proud of this. The idea behind it is that we wanted something that is spicy like a rye, but not, you know, what your MGP 95%, you know, really, really strong rye is. A little bit sweeter. And with our bourbon, a little bit spicier. Um, I wish I would have known I'd have brought all our, our stuff. But. No, I told everybody to spring one sample, but a lot of the brands have neglected my, uh, you know, <laughs> okay. my Specific leadership skills. <laughs> yeah, so it's, um, they've brought many, so we'll be tasting one from everybody else the rest of this time, or whatever. We'll, we'll see what happens. We'll drink it's yours twice, my dear yeah, boy. Yeah, <laughs> okay, thank you, sir. Yeah, yeah. So your rye, what is, what is the mash bill that you're using um, on your rye? Uh, right now, that's 70 20 10. 
Oh, because you are doing some different. You're kind of playing around with mash spells yeah. still, too, yeah, right? Yeah, to an extent, and yeah. and now we're blending quite a bit. Um, so you'll see, we're gonna mm. we're gonna shake it all out. Yeah. In, in these years coming, but we're really happy with what we've got. And there's, you know, I, I was listening to one of your kind of to prepare for this because I'm a bit anxious. I would do I've never done a podcast before. <laughs> oh, you're um, doing great. As we were yeah, driving over awesome. here, um, you know, my fiance and I were listening to um, your previous podcast. And you'd had somebody on from Old Elk, the guy that mm. made all of the mash pills, and I got really intimidated <laughs> all at once. I was just like, you know, there's no way that I'm going to be able to handle this. Because um, this guy's, like you guys were saying in the show, had been distilling much longer than I'd been For alive. Like 40 right? years. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, yeah. yeah, immediately I was a little bit intimidated by that. But That's an anomaly for our podcast. <laughs> Usually it's just us standing around it's amazing telling dick a- jokes about Matt and how small it was. Um, <laughs> you know, all that yeah. kind of stuff. It's amazing when a man like that, who has so much experience and has worked with like really, you know, fusel oil decanters and all this stuff, oh. like re- really big, large scale production yeah. equipment, um, can sit down and over three months design a mash bill with bench test yeah. and, and have it go to market and be very successful. That That's overwhelmingly cool. And I think it's um, intimidating for all of us when you see a guy who built a 95.5 mash bill is like, yeah, it took me 30 years to do that. <laughs> right. <laughs> Okay, yeah. so, uh, you know, I've been selling whiskey for like 10 years. Um, got another 20 to go before I know what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So I understand right with you. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's so neat. But, you know, one thing that is really neat, because um, we are so small scale, and, and, you know, we're into binnies, and we're emptying barrels now, which is awesome. And what I'm most excited about personally um, is using our used cooperage. You know, oh, now, yeah. now we're, we're able, we've already started, you know, doing finishing. Like, we, we, have a, we like American single malt. We love it. Um, and we do an Applewood smoked uh, single malt, and you know we've been using those casks for bourbons and stuff. Very you cool. Know? So like it's it's fun, you know, experiment a little bit with making a rum or whatever, and using our own used cooperage. And I think that's like that is the gateway and, and into becoming like a, a brand that is gonna be um, you know salient and and something that's gonna be here for a while. So yeah. that's really exciting, but. The cooler thing is, you know, maybe we do a 75, 15, 10 rye and a 70, 20, 10 rye. And when you blend them together, there's something to that. I mean, yeah. I, I sat on a board and heard people talk about the barrel that you put into the, the mix last matters the most. Hmm. There's there's so much with that. You know, it kind of changes everything up. Totally. Yeah. It, it's it's the thing that, that stays and is the strongest in the blend. Um, there's that. You know, there's the issues of saponification, which we're figuring out. You know, hmm. the lower you go in, in proof, you have to add water more slowly. Yep. Actually, if you add water, when you add water to the tank, um, if you put your hand under it, we use stainless steel tanks and that, but... Um, if you add the water really quickly, you put your hand under the tank, you'll feel it heat up. I can imagine. Yeah, that. there's an exothermic reaction happening there. So, you know, we've done all this kind of stuff to, to we're constantly trying to polish and polish, but um, we're happy with what we got before a lot of polishing. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know. You seem like a very curious and uh, intelligent kind of guy. Did that kind of come from working on motorcycles and that translate easily over to distilling? I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think I can attribute a lot to, you know, our workplace. Like, mm. I think, you know, uh, not just myself and the other distiller and, you know, Colin, but um, who, who's the master distiller, but um, also Colleen, who you were in contact with. Yep. Like, we, we're all active in uh, the IBD, so taking those exams and, and furthering and trying to get as much education as we can and, and just pushing forward as, as a team. I think it's really cool, and we're a small team, so... Yeah. Right now, yeah, we're, we're trying to bring the best thing we can. 
Now you had talked about starting to use some of the cooperage again for for finishing. Do you feel any pressure as a smaller brand? You're seeing all these finishes out in the market from all these distilleries sure. these days. Do you feel a pressure to have to offer some sort of finish because of what you're seeing in the market, or is it more just you guys exploring and reusing what you have? I think it's totally the latter because um, you know there, there's so much good things going on, right? Redbreast, they they, they have the all the history in England of uh, gentlemen importing sherry and having sherry yeah. in the house, and then you know what to do with these casks. That that's awesome, and and that that totally happened because of of history and, and, and just like, not history, but what was necessary, right. what, what to do with this cask now. And sherry, the sherry market is, is terrible right now, right? Yeah. Like they, they basically make sherry to throw it out. So right. there's barrels for whiskey. <laughs> um, so, wow, hopefully whiskey doesn't go that way. Yeah. But, um, you know, what's cool about it to me is that we're, it's our cooperage. Yeah. It's our stuff that went into our barrels. We love our barrels. You know, you talked a little bit with the fellow before about that. We use the same number three char. Um, we have, we use a, a specific toast level and we use all um, 24 month um, air seasoned wood from Minnesota. And, you know, for more content of vanilla and all that. Yeah. Is that Black Swan Cooperage? That is not Minnesota? Black Swan Cooperage. That's actually the Cooperage. The the Cooper is in um, in Kentucky. They're Kelvin. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. yeah. But they air dried in. The yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah right. I think so. So the wood is felled there, and the idea is that basically a tree that's grown in Minnesota and a tree that's grown in Missouri, the one in Minnesota will be smaller yep. um, than the one in Missouri hmm. because it. Very cool. Um, so, what are we tasting today? Uh, this is a rye. Yeah. So, this is kind of our one one of our flag our flagship brand. People are really excited about our red corn too. Red corn bourbon, and that yeah. uses an heirloom variety That's corn. That's what I had at Longman and Eagle. It was very tasty. Yeah. People, Good job on that one too. People like that. But yeah, th- this is our rye here. And yeah, that's that's it. Um, this one here is a 603010. We kind of changed the mash bill as we we went on and and, and polished it out. But this is this is pretty amazing. I mean. A- Everyone that we make gets better and better. Yeah. Um, so are you just are you putting that on the label of how you're changing the mash bills every time? Yeah. 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 See, this one here will have it. This is this is an older batch which I'd brought, um, but um, yeah, we'll we'll have somebody hand and write it. Wow. Well, it's good to be transparent that way. Obviously, we've seen other yeah. distilleries in the past that are small starting off and not being particularly honest about what the whiskey is, where it's coming from, and all that. So um, great to see it on that label, too. Yeah, we, I, we love it. And, you know, if you go to our tasting room, there's placards all around that say exactly what it is that you're buying. So, yeah, that's dope. Yeah. I, I think the from what I was told about it, you know, you can have the mash bill, know what yeast we use, buy the same equipment, and still not yeah. replicate what exactly. we make. So right. I don't know that there needs to be a, a, that level of secrecy. Now, I see this is uh, labeled, this is batch five. Are you, and this is at 94 proof, are you always at 94 proof for each batch? Or We have been. Okay. Yeah. With the exception of some things, we're going to have a, a special release coming into the tap room soon, or the the tasting room, and that'll be a smoked bourbon. That's one of the oh, ones that yeah. we finish in one of our own cooperage, um, and um, that's going to be at cast strength. Ooh, very yeah. nice. So, what do you anticipate uh, the cast strength? What well, off of that too. What's your entry proof? 110. Guys? Okay. Yeah, and so we what do, do you that. anticipate this cast strength being at? They rise by about one. One a year? Yeah, 1%, yeah. something like that. And we lose quite a bit, as you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but 
but yeah, um, we, we, we like it there. And the reason for that is because, you know, not everything in wood is alcohol soluble or ethanol soluble. Yeah, a lot of it yeah. is water soluble. So that's, that's like a good, good balance. We've actually messed around even with um, barreling some stuff at 94. Sure. Really? Yeah. Which is not cost effective, but yeah, could yeah. produce a very delicious whiskey. How is that so, changing in the barrel? Is it going up or down? I or? haven't tasted them. Okay. Yeah, but yeah, I mean they'll they'll go up slightly. Okay. I would I yeah. would assume, but um, yeah, that, that it doesn't make sense. Um, like <laughs> yeah. the, to do everyone like that. Well, but, what's yeah. the point of having a distillery if you're not going to try? Right. Stuff? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what we, we that's what we like. It's, yeah. it's awesome to see because so many distilleries that started 15, 20 years ago or the last decade have kind of already found their laurels and rested on that. But it seems like you guys are exploring every single day. Yeah, we're trying. We really are. I mean, and it's competitive as heck. Oh, yeah. You know, you guys know that. You, you, you guys know better than anybody, right? So, yeah, we're, out, we're trying to... You hear that, Jake? I know better than anyone. <laughs> well, Matt, with your vodka selling days out there in the world, I know you know better than anybody. Competing with the likes of Grey Goose and Tito's. The packaging looks great Tito's. on the Judson & Moore, too. Very classic. Yes. Thank you. Um, it reminds me of a, a Schnucks the Midwestern grocery store chain. We don't really have, have those in Illinois, but they used to have Down a private south. label. Yeah. yeah. Really? They used to have a private label that I think was distilled by Barton or Heaven Hill. Oh. And it, it was a very, it, it, the packaging isn't similar, but the color scheme is very close. Cool. And it, yeah, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's cool to see. Uh, um, they had many cases of that Schnucks whiskey at a Illinois distributor, and uh, Bangers and Lace bought the rest of it. So wow, for like I was try some. Years, yeah. You were, yeah, and uh, a, an unnamed guest in the audience, who I'm sure we'll hear from later, <laughs> Maybe uh, next. is gesticulating wildly at me. Uh, how is it working with Chicago's tempestuous weather in distilling and barrel aging? So we're, one, building our barrel vault was a challenge a vault yeah oh. it has to be so because there's flammable liquid right? right so the floors had to be recessed there's blast doors that are <laughs> magnetically controlled i mean it, like this thing it, it's there's a lot that goes into it and we don't use any hvac so we let it kind of rise and fall with with the weather um we've actually exhausted our our um you know our, our storage so now we've been sending it down to our farmer and mm. he, he stores a lot of oh, the, okay. the barrels for us. And that's oh, in Paxton, Illinois. Yeah. So also there, they're in, they're in what was an old uh, livery. Okay. Um, huh. Yeah. It, like Victorian era livery. And, you know, they've got all the barrels racked up there. Some of them anyways. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's, that's where we're putting our stuff for long storage, taking them down there. Cause we just can't, we can't house them all. Right. Is there, um, what are you guys thinking in terms of, I know that this rye is two years old. Is right. that right? Are you, do you have plans to release, you know, I personally a certain don't, age? Yeah, I've heard talk of a, a two, a four, and a six. Okay. And I think that's kind of, that's just right um, for, for American whiskey and, and what we do. Um, I, I'm, like everybody else, you know, I love drinking a 10-year or something yeah. just because you marvel in how old it is sure. and that. But we, we produce something that we think is pretty dissolute forward. We want you to taste the grain in that, so go too far you know it can sometimes it just becomes a wood bomb yeah definitely. for sure where did uh, your whole whiskey journey kind of begin um wow 
stealing it from my mom and drinking it. <laughs> <laughs> Solid. And, and, yeah. what, and what brands were these? Um, what what, what were the mom brands? Yeah. Kessler. Yeah, yeah. Yes, was a big one. <laughs> But, um, There's another audience yeah. member gesticulating wildly <laughs> at the mention of Kessler. Maybe yeah. we'll hear from him later. He's wearing a delicious Canadian tuxedo as well. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think we all uh, kind of uh, pinched into those uh, cabinets and found our way through liquors uh, that way and started developing our flavors at a young age. So I can be, I can relate there right there with you. Um, what were you mixing this Kessler? These mom Lemonade and ginger. Yeah. Yeah. Now we're talking. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Um, it's supposed to burn, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. That stuff, yeah. 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 So what do you want to build um, with the future of Justin and Moore personally? How do you want to see it grow? I, I'm so excited about what we're doing. I mean, you guys were joking about the vodka earlier. We actually made a vodka to see if the Vendome could do it, and yeah. maybe it can. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah, we, we um, fermented 4,000 um, pounds of rye. Wow. And, and, wow. and made a vodka. That's cool. And it took a lot of time to do, but it came out, yeah, you know? Very cool. And yeah, really neat. I was, um, you know, it has a huge vanilla note, mm. which wow. you wouldn't expect, but yeah. it, it did. So that was really fun and exciting. I think if we just keep pressing on with what we're doing now, yeah, um, yeah I mean, that, that's the thing. There, we'll, we'll have great, great things. What, you is your, pr- what is your production right now? Like, how many barrels are you producing? About a barrel producing? a day. A barrel a day, yeah. 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 Sorry, you should be. I mean, it's most distilleries how they start off in the first few yeah. years and then just yeah. keep gradually growing. And I think you you do hit a bottleneck. You know, yeah. like we're recycling faints now and all that, which is great. But you'll you know you hit a point where it's like okay, now you need new machinery. Yeah, mm. yeah, definitely. So. Um, when people come to your distillery for a tour for an experience, what should they expect? A really good time. So that that's that's what's <laughs> that, yeah. that's what's great about us is that like cool we we are doing a barrel a day, but we're also uh, we want to be like a forum in the neighborhood. Yeah. You know, so um, both uh, my mentor and his wife are musicians. They they play a lot. So mm. expect Americana music, um, uh, like just talented musicians, really. Um, all, all sorts of fun walking yeah. around the river you know yeah yeah good drinks i highly recommend it i've been there it's definitely absolutely beautiful place the the tasting room is gorgeous huge bar to sit at plenty of room to to hang out we actually felled the tree that that bar came from got a portable sawmill wow really and made that bar and all the tables in there too awesome um, place. yeah it's all white oak so that's amazing that's great, really great. No, it's one of those little corridors in Chicago. If you don't know about, or if you're visiting, you should definitely check out. It's not just you guys, as you mentioned. You got breweries, you got coffee shops, um, even like Guild Row being built in there now. It's such a little cool area of Chicago that you can attract a lot of tourism to, hang out all day, um, and not really walk too far either. And then catch an Uber home because you might have had a few cocktails or a few <laughs> drinks from all those places. Yeah, um, Joe, tr- truly appreciate it. Thanks for coming on, sharing the story, Judson and Moore, sharing your personal story as well. Um, and glad to see another Chicago distillery is really stepping up and putting out some uh, really delicious whiskey. Thanks yeah. so much, gentlemen. Awesome. Thank, Thank you. you. Oh, Thanks right. for coming. Yeah. Any, uh, any, any thoughts about Justin and Moore out there in the crowd? Yeah. Definitely what? pay them a visit. Oh, Very yeah, definitely. Cool place. Uh, yeah, it's definitely a little cool area. So I guess you guys know I started my, well, kind of started my career in the whiskey world at Cobol. And at the time, Metropolitan was uh, next door to us making some brews. And we used to exchange things and you know, started venturing over there when they went over to the river, um, that side of town. And moved out of there and you got to see the, how they progressed and then all these other companies that have followed in pursuit and Justin Moore being the next uh, Chicago distillery is just a great thing to see. 